0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com. Or email me directly at a o l s e n at a l t u s m k t g dot com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome. This is Andrew Olson. I'm here with Ken Brissa, who's the chief executive officer of Phoenix Rescue Mission, uh, where they provide Christ-centered life transformation for people who are facing hunger and homelessness in and around the Phoenix area. Prior to to joining the Rescue Mission last year, Ken had uh, held senior-level roles at numerous different nonprofit organizations, including March of Dimes, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, MIND Research Institute, JDRF, and the ALS Association's Arizona chapter. Ken, welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Hey, before we get into our content today, and I'm I'm really excited to talk with you about uh, your leadership journey. Um, I, I know that you started at the Rescue Mission just before COVID hit. Uh, so I definitely want to get into that. Before we start that conversation, though, tell us a little bit more about who you are and a little bit more about the work that Phoenix Rescue Mission does.
1: Yeah, thank you. I have been in nonprofit leadership since my family and I moved to Arizona in 2006. Before that, my career was predominantly corporate and predominantly manufacturing. So it was in quality assurance, which is all about process improvement. And I found that process improvement transport transfers really well into the <laughs> nonprofit space. Um, now, as you said, I'm the CEO at Phoenix Rescue Mission, and we serve the hungry, the homeless, the addicted, and the hurting. And we do that by operating a men's recovery center and a women's recovery center. So when people think about serving the homeless, they usually think about a service where homeless persons. Can come in usually later in the day, get a meal, oftentimes get a, oftentimes get a gospel message, get a bed for the night, and they're out again the next morning. We are a residential recovery center. So we're all about transforming lives, both here on earth and eternally. And so we run a facility for men and a separate one for women. With Any women in that facility with uh, children or a child resides with their child. So we have women and children in that facility. We also run a food bank in Glendale, Arizona, which is right next door to the city of Phoenix. You can imagine the number of people we served in 2020 was significantly higher than any year in our past. And the number of first-time families we served was three times higher than (laughs) any year past. So we operate a food bank. I think one of the uh most special things we do is operate a street outreach program where we we have nine vehicles that we call hope coaches and people on our staff usually go out in pairs and they go to areas of the valley where they know that the homeless congregate or where they can be found and they bring them water and oftentimes a sack lunch, toiletry kits, hygiene kits, but most importantly they minister to these people. They let these people know that someone and ones really do care about them. And they give them the opportunity to get off the street. We offer services to connect people either with our program or with many other programs in the Valley to get them off the street and to get into a space where they can become more functional and eventually get find their way out of
0: homelessness. That's awesome. So, let, let's let's get into this conversation. Uh, the first question I have for you, I mean, I, I assume someone at, at your level in, in your career probably could, you know, ha- have your pick of any number of different uh, organizations to work for. Why the rescue mission?
1: It, it was the Christ-centered focus of the mission. Okay. I, I'll never forget. Uh, my wife actually found the job posting. <laughs> we were both familiar with Phoenix Rescue Mission, and she saw that they were looking for a CEO. And she sent it to me and I read it later in the day. And when we sat down over dinner that night, I said, did you read that posting? And she hadn't read it in detail. And I shared with her that about every other bullet point said something like Christ-centered and faith-based. And there was one bullet point in the job description that said one of the requirements was to lead devotionals and prayer. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I, I knew in my heart that that was something I needed to pursue.
0: Very cool. Okay. So you were telling me before we started recording this afternoon that uh, you started at Phoenix Rescue Mission in February of 2020. As we all know, um, the following month basically is when the world shut down because of COVID. Right. Uh, What, describe a little bit for us about what it was like coming into an organization as a new CEO, um, trying to learn the organization, trying to connect with, with staff, and then being handed a crisis situation like that in your first couple of months,
1: it was um, it was challenging, like it was for everyone. However, I realize now with hindsight that having a background in quality assurance, quality assurance, where oftentimes you're dealing with things that have gone wrong, and then having a background with organizations like the ALS Association and JDRF, which are highly event revenue focused. When you run a number of, of events, and when I was at JDRF, I was responsible for a very large geographic territory on the west side of the country. When you run events, things go wrong. And I've worked with the uh, practice of what I call playing scenario. So we used to do it planning for an event. We would play scenario, what if? And we would talk about sometimes some unbelievably bizarre and that probably won't happen kind of situation, but it builds that muscle. It builds that critical thinking muscle individually and as a team so that when something happens, and assuredly it will, you're more ready to deal with it. And so really early on in COVID and being a new leader with the organization, we played scenario a lot. And we asked ourselves, what if we can't open in a month? What if we can't uh, do the kinds of things we want to do at the start of the new fiscal year? What if revenue is significantly negatively impacted? What would we do? And so we planned for all of that. And so as things happened, I, can, I, I know that my team and my board were more comfortable leaning into a direction that they hadn't seen even just in the recent past because we needed to. So we got very comfortable with being nimble and and changing rather quickly, changing direction rather quickly.
0: So, uh, did did COVID cause you to have to actually shut down program, or what was the impact at the rest? Only of the for a short
1: time. So, really early on in COVID, we did shut down intakes at the men's center and the women's center. We did not shut down the food the food bank. We did not shut down street outreach but we weren't allowing new people into program. The people who were in program because it's a residential uh, recovery campus environment, they stayed and surprisingly, so many of them stayed. We thought that once they heard that quarantines were going to be in place, that they might have chosen to left to leave, very, very few did. But we did have to stop intake for just a short amount of time because we as an organization and society really didn't know much about COVID. As we learned more about COVID and testing and things like that, we opened up intake, we rearranged the area at the men's center. The women's center was a little bit easier because it structurally it was built for it, but we reopened intake and we isolated new people until they got a negative COVID test. If they came onto campus and they got a positive COVID test, we worked with a community partner who housed them and got them medical care if necessary until they tested negative and then they would come back to our facility. So, really, the only thing we stopped was intakes, but it was for a short amount of time because we shifted how we do intake and it's still the way we do intake
0: today. But we were able to reopen. So, talk to us a little bit about um, you know, how, how the whole pandemic and, and its unfolding for the mission has impacted the culture and how have you as a leader had to change the, the way that you approach your team? To make sure that they're cared for throughout a, a, such a long-term crisis.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it was more difficult, certainly, uh, being technological. We, the people who re- who worked at the food bank and the people who work in the recovery centers, they stayed on the job, but we had to put steps in place where if you were not critically important to delivering program, you worked from home for quite okay. a quite a long amount of time. So um, I, I was comfortable being on Zoom. It's something I had done before I had gotten to the mission. Most people weren't. If I had a dollar for every time I said, you're on mute in the last year, I, we would fund the entire mission. But uh, people got very comfortable doing that. But we shifted some things up. We used to have an in-person all-team meeting every other month, and I was only able to attend one. I attended the one in January, it was before I started but of course i knew i was coming so we went to monthly all team zoom meetings and the feedback we got we have about 100 employees the feedback we got was that they enjoyed them and when i say more i mean from the standpoint that they got to see and hear from more people on a screen than they even did in a room full of people because Human nature pre-COVID was you would hang with the team you work with. You would sit at the table with the team you work with. You might wave and say hi to somebody in passing. But we went technological, and we still are with our all-team meetings. We also, as a leadership team very early on, asked ourselves, what should we be doing for our staff? You know, much along the way, you asked the question. And it dawned on us pretty quickly, let's ask the staff rather than we sit there and try to figure it out for them. So we assembled a really cross-functional group of people. Uh, they're called Culture Club. And they meet regularly to just instill camaraderie, connectivity, fun into the mission. They usually incorporate some kind of a game into the all-team meeting with prizes. And that they, they just kept the mood really light and people look forward to it. So those were a couple of the real, real tangible ways. I think a more intangible way, but a more um, ingrained in who we are way, was the way in which we made communication a priority, both the quantity of communication, but especially the quality of communication. My mantra related to communication is, if you don't share the information, people will make it up. And that was the last thing we wanted, period, but especially during COVID. So I think the quality of communication has significantly improved.
0: Right, Um, I can imagine that throughout this process, you know, you've probably had some people who have worked really late nights, really early mornings, lots of weekends. How how have you helped folks kind of process the stress around that? What what does that look like for y'all?
1: It's it's it
0: depends on the person,
1: right? Um, As we all know, everyone's wired differently, so a one size fits all scenario doesn't apply there. I, I will tell you personally, I find myself telling people to punch out. Um, to punch out when I get something from them at eight, nine o'clock at night. Uh, when, when I get something from them on vacation, I, I am a stickler about if you are on vacation, you are on vacation and we will take care of things in your absence. Um, so in that way, we, we do try to care for our people. We make sure that our people take their PTO. Um, we HR tracks it. We will, in a in a very positive way. We will actually remind people that they need to take their PTO. Their PTO bank is now actually up over the limit, so go and take some time off. So we do we we encourage it in a lot of different
0: ways. Let's go up thirty thousand feet here. I'm curious to get a sense from you what, um, as a, a leader, what are the values that are most important to you, and how do you make sure that those are lived out across the organization.
1: One of the values that's most important to me, and it's a word that's used a lot, but it really is at the center of who I am and at the center of where I strive for our organization to be, is collaboration. (laughs) And, And by that, I mean, we get really good at asking ourselves, who needs to know what I just found out or who needs to know what I just experienced and make it your priority to tell them. So often when there are problems within an organization, and it, you know, it's really rooted in communication and the quality of communication. But I believe in a I believe a collaborative team thinking with one mind. And, and by that I don't mean everybody thinks the same way, but I mean that everyone, the right people have the right input for the right things. So that we're more assured that the direction we go is the direction we should go, and alongside that comes significantly better buying because there's understanding, there's a level of understanding, and even a level of input. So collaboration is really at the core of what of my values. One value I have as it relates to the people in my care, the people who work for the organization, I believe it's our responsibility to make them marketable, and That may mean that someday they leave the organization. I hope not. I hope as we make them more marketable, we have opportunities for them to grow in the organization and in their career by staying. But if we don't, we owe it to them to let them go on to that next phase of their career. And oftentimes people will say, why do you think that way? You're going to lose good people. And I'm of the opinion, if we do our best, to make them marketable when they're with us. Imagine the benefit we get from them. Hadn't you know versus hadn't we done it? So that
0: that's another big core value for me. I like. that. I love that. That's a, that's a great one. I, I've of all the leaders that I've interviewed recently, um, I've never heard anyone put it that way. But I think that is, is spot on and really important. Um, so I want to go back to the collaboration piece because it kind of dovetails with another question I, I had for you. And and you've been in enough nonprofit organizations, you have probably. Witness this in real time. Um, you know, there there are instances, and, and I've seen it quite a lot in, in the last couple decades of of doing this work, where organizations choose to just brush conflict under the rug so mm-hmm. that they don't have to have the uncomfortable conversations. You know, with, with collaboration being so important to you, talk a little bit about how you um, handle that from the you know from the executive table and. and all the way across the organization to make sure that you don't create those kind of scenarios where, where people are bottling up frustration or talking to a friend about a problem and not addressing it directly with the person that they might have an issue with. How do you, how do you deal with that?
1: Um, It's something that I realized was uh, a reality early on at the mission. And I think especially being a ministry, some people were confusing conflict resolution or conflict management or conflict in general as the opposite of showing grace mm-hmm. and that that's that's that is absolutely a misfocus on the two in fact i think showing grace is appropriately addressing conflict so that was an issue at the mission and it still is there's there's no doubt about it but the one thing that i absolutely remind people of and i try to instill in them is you owe it to the person to address the issue when there is conflict. Uh, I really try to coach people up, make it about you, the person delivering the message. Use I far more than you, so that it's not you know that kind of a scenario and, and the person doesn't feel attacked. I mean, you can't control how a person reacts, sure. but you can take some steps to try to mitigate that. And at the end of the day, especially if it's a supervisor, employee situation, you have to document it. You know, there's this old adage, if you're in sales, if you don't put it in CRM, it didn't happen, right? Well, when you're dealing with an HR issue, if you don't document it, it didn't happen. And the worst thing you should do to someone is approach them about a performance or a behavior issue when it's so far out of hand. And arguably, they may be hearing about it, you know, in a formal way for the very first time. Mm -hmm. So you really owe it to the organization. You owe it to your constituents, certainly. And you owe it especially to the people you serve to address conflict. Because if you don't, the people around the organization, whether they work there or serve there or are served there, they see it happening and they look to leadership. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, what are you going to do about that? And especially if you're a staff member, if you see someone underperforming or behaving badly and you're not it erodes it the culture real, real quick. last part of a really long answer. Yeah. When it comes to that cult, conflict management and you asked the question earlier about culture, I heard the coolest definition of culture, not long ago. Culture is the distance between who you say you are and how you act. Hmm. And that. the more you don't act the way you say you are, arguably the worse the culture. But the more you act like the organization you claim to be, the better the culture. And and that is at at the forefront of the way we're trying to lead the mission.
0: That's a great point of view. I I like that a lot. Um, Talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of more of a personal perspective. But what's what's something you know today to be true about leadership that you wish you would have known the first day that you led an organization or a team?
1: I'll tell you what popped into my head. And I've got a strange answer, I think. But the answer is nothing. And 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 I mean that. And, and the reason is, is because if I knew that thing when I started, I probably wouldn't have experienced it the way I needed to to understand it the way I do today. And so I am a big fan of failure. I, I fail quickly, hopefully. But I am a big fan of failure. I, and that comes from... A quality background, quality assurance background. Sure, but if you don't fail, you can't you can't learn. It's just that the it's it's fundamental to really effective learning, and I think it's fundamental to really effective leadership. If you have to have a safe environment for people to learn and to fail, and to give them the opportunity and the tools they need to learn from that failure, because they will be so much stronger moving forward.
0: Great. So. Um Outside of COVID, talk to me about the, the most significant crisis you ever faced. And I'm really curious to know what you learned about yourself and your own leadership in the process.
1: Outside of COVID, the, the one that comes to mind is when I started leading our region at JDRF. Uh, as, I, as I shared earlier, we were by far the largest geographic region. Um, we were responsible for about that third of the Western part of the country, except for California and Texas, they were on their own. And among 11 regions, when I started, our region was 11 when it came to net revenue. Okay. So there, there, there were things that needed to be improved. So I realized really early on that the, the best thing to do was to bring the executive directors together, physically together, and come up with a plan for improving <clears throat> Not only our revenue, but our performance overall. And along with that, JDRF had a three-year goal to increase net revenue by market and by region by 20%, which in nonprofit is, you know, it's it's some, somewhat incomprehensible. And so I brought the executive directors together. And I mean, they were from Hawaii and Vegas and Phoenix and Seattle and Portland and Salt Lake City. They all converged in Phoenix. And we looked at it through one lens, meaning we were all in it together. We were number one responsible for the region and then responsible for each other's chapter and then responsible for our chapter, your own individual chapter. When we did that, people were standing up saying, I don't need that head count, they need it important.
0: Wow.
1: Well, it was, it was really <laughs> something. Yeah. So that's how we operated that, into that fiscal year. The end result was that we as a region increased our net revenue in that one year a little over 22%. And it's simply because everyone had that we're in it together mentality. And when when you approach your responsibilities, your roles, your goals with the team's goal in mind, you individually individually will be far more successful. So what I learned was all of us are smarter than one of us. I didn't sit back as the leader of the region and say, all right, what do what do I want to do? What do I think we ought to do? Uh, I had a, I had a really good sense of what that should be. Where we went
0: was in that direction, but so much better. Great perspective. Great. Thank you. <clears throat> so you talked a little bit earlier um, with respect to your, your team, making sure that they uh, take their PTO, they they disconnect, you know, when when it's necessary, things like that. I'm curious to know for for you, like, how do you maintain your own physical and emotional well being um, so that you can bring yourself fully to the office to to care for you know your staff and, and the people that are, that are served by the mission? What's what's that look like for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, uh, physical well being has probably been the thing that had the head that is more on the sideline than okay. it used to be, and by that I mean I don't. And it's not that I don't have the time; I don't make the time <laughs> to exercise like I used to. To do the thing, you know, to golf as much you know as much as I'd like to, I just don't. I I get wrapped up in other things. I'm really blessed to have a, my family here locally, which means dumb kids and grandkids. But I don't make that kind of time. I need to. Mentally, uh, my therapy is cooking. And when I cook, I crank the music sing out loud and I love to cook. So I cook just about every night and I couldn't have a better partner because my wife loves to clean and I am a messy cook, but, that, that, but cooking and, and I think especially the creativity that goes along with it, because I'll often make something for the first time, maybe something similar to what I might've had in a restaurant or I just might think it. And if that's my therapy. It, it, it just, it calms me. So at the end of the day, arguably, no matter what I went through that day, I can I can chill and wind down when
0: I, when I step up to the stove. It's a great, great creative outline. I like that a lot. So last, last question I have for you before I let you go for the day. Um, what's one piece of advice or one insight that you found valuable that you can share with the emerging leaders and the the folks that are, you know, in similar seats to yours right now, what, what would you say to them?
1: Uh, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but when I was a very, very young leader working in manufacturing, it, we were in the assembly department of a manufacturing plant, meaning parts were made here, parts were made there. And the assembly area is where the parts came together and they were, Manufactured together. I was responsible for quality assurance. A good friend of mine was responsible for the manufacturing process. And a third person was responsible for making sure the product got on the shelves and delivered to the customer on time. And we had a leader who took our team, and then there was the team that made the one piece and the team that made the other piece. And he made all three of us responsible. For all three areas. So it wasn't me saying that the part was bad, and it wasn't manufacturing saying the part was good, and it wasn't the third person saying that part's got to get on the shelf. All three of us were responsible for everything. And I'll never forget this day, and i told this story before. My friend and I, the guy who's responsible for manufacturing, he and I are standing over a box of parts with a tag on it, meaning something is, is wrong or maybe wrong with these parts. I'm arguing that they should go to the customer. He's arguing that they should stay here and be rejected. And that, I mean, talk about a freaky Friday switch. And our plant manager told us both, he literally put a hand on both of our shoulders and said, you'll never forget this day. And it's because we felt responsible for the entire area. And it just broke down all the walls around what I think I'm supposed to be responsible for. So when you care about, like I said earlier, when you care about other areas, other teams, other missions, other service organizations in your community, you and your organization will do far greater things than
0: if you simply wave your own flag alone. That's awesome. I love that. Ken, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you sharing your your wisdom and insight and experience with us. If if someone wants to know more about the mission. How do they find you all? Yeah, please
1: visit us online. It's PHX, so the abbreviation for Phoenix, PHXmission.org. You'll find out so much information about the mission there. And if you want to reach out to me, you can go there, um, shoot me an email from the website, and I'll be sure to connect with you.
0: Awesome. Thanks again for being here today. Thank you,
1: Andrew. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Have you read my Amazon number one bestselling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.